Seems to be a, one of our platforms of communication. <laughs> no, another one. Yeah. How's things been for you? Surviving this whole political yeah, race? You know, it's, it's certainly an interesting, well, I mean, politics at any time are um, a beast of a different nature, right? But it, especially now for just so many reasons, as you well realize, Zach, you know, between the economy and pandemic and everything else, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenging time to be entering this arena. It is what it is. Got to do it. Got to do what you got to do if you want to make change. Oh, absolutely. What made you kind of say, "Hey, let's let's go into this race and dive deep"? Because you're not stopping. You're like full force. Yeah, we're going ahead. I mean, the things that really made me want to move forward were several factors. A lot of it was just, you know, my love for the city. I fell in love with the city, you know, 20 years ago when I came here, and I just see a lot of difference right now. And what is happening, some of the things that embraced me to Calgary were just, you know, um, and not to play a pun on the word energy, because we hear that word so much in, in, in this town because of hydrocarbons and fossil fuels and oil and gas. But literally, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, there's such an energy within the people, such a dynamic force that everybody was just feeling very positive, feeling this was such a city of opportunity. And, you know, when I came in, and started to get to know Calgarians, one of the first things I always ask them is, you know, what's your Calgary story? Like, because so few people are actually born and raised. So many of us have come here. I mean, I'm, I myself was born in Lloydminster, right? East Africa. Yeah, there you go, right? And everybody came here because they felt that there was such opportunity for personal success on many different levels. And not all of that was because they were engineers in oil and gas, but also because we did have that very prosperous hub, uh, which was, you know, hydrocarbons, there was a lot of disposable cash, you know, discretionary spending. So people could get sub businesses, whether you were a carpenter, a framer, you want to open a beauty salon, a boutique, you know, kind of the sky was the limit. If you came here with ambition and some vision and drive, you know, your potential of being very successful was of all the cities in North America that I've been involved in, I would say that Calgary exponentially had for many decades, the opportunity of success was higher here than any other city. And now, now when I walk around the city, I just see that those opportunities are no longer here. That enthusiasm is no longer here. And you meet people in the street and they don't have that same happiness, that same light in their eyes. You know, before it's like every morning you get up and you're like, wow, what am I going to do today that topped yesterday? Because yesterday was amazing, but today's going to be even better. And now, you know, for a lot of Calgarians, it's like, how do I survive to tomorrow? And that is not the existence that I came to, that made me fall in love with Calgary. And I think we can get that back because, you know, I, I believe that as Albertans and Calgarians, we're very resilient people, we're very resourceful people. And one of the statistics that a lot of people don't realize is that Calgary actually has the highest percentage of post-secondary graduates of any urban city in Canada. But, you know, oftentimes the narrative out there is, you know, they're kind of rednecks, you know, we're just out to pillage the land of its natural resources, but it's never followed up with the dialogue and the narrative that we actually have, for instance, in oil and gas, we have the highest ESG rating in the world. But you wouldn't know that if you talked even to most Calgarians on the street. So, you know, when I look at all those different factors, 
I think that we need some very strong, determined, focused leadership to help Calgary change its narrative and move us towards the future. So, you know, one of the questions I asked, I'm going to ask you, Zach, is what is the identity of Calgary to you? Today or what it was? Well, there you go. That's two questions, right? I know what it was, but what is it today? I mean, what it was, I think, and correct me or change, I th- because I wasn't born and raised here. I, I came here and what drew me here was, you know, it was the it was the hub of oil and gas for Western Canada, if not all of Canada and, and much of North America. It had the world's best rodeo festival. And we were close to some of the most majestic mountains anywhere on the face of the earth. I mean, that's to me what it was. Well, I mean, look at it today. There is the obvious. People are tired. They're exhausted. Desperate. It is a zombie land up there. I mean, go to downtown Calgary today. What is it like? I think whoever is going to do this job as mayor has a big job ahead. And I know you, you agree with me on that. It's, this is no small task. Things need to change. And I think it starts with the leader, you know, from the top down. Because this was way before the pandemic that all of the exhaustion and all this has happened, economic challenges. What can Calgary do to kind of step up its game? I know we have the tech hub coming here. You know, we've got a, a bubble coming. But what about the other individuals that are, you know, we have the best welders in town. We have the best tradesmen. Absolutely. You know, there's so many. I think that our leadership, you know, number one, it comes to leadership, right? Uh, and this is a narrative that has upset me in Calgary for quite some time. And you're correct. We've been on this path for many years, not just the pandemic. The pandemic has just been, you know, the real nail in the coffin, I guess you could say. And I don't want to have this whole discussion as being negative because I see a lot of positives to the future, but only if we work together to get to them. So we've been struggling. And a lot of it is just that I don't feel that we've had um, a leadership group, A, that is cohesive, and make strong decisions and gets the game moving forward. I mean, there's three things that I was taught when I was young. There's three decisions in life. There's the right decision. There's the wrong decision. But the worst decision is no decision. And I think that oftentimes our city hall falls into that last category. Zach, when was the last time that we feel as Calgarians we had a win? I mean, the whole Olympics thing was bobbled, stumbled, you know, tripped over. Um, I, whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing, who knows? Because City Hall didn't present it in a way that we as citizens could get a really good grasp on whether we should vote yes or no in that plebiscite. Uh, I have several friends who are, you know, silver and gold medal Olympians. I would have loved nothing more than to have seen them perform here. But I had no assurance that this city could pull it off in any way that didn't leave us with multi-billions in burden. So, you know, terrible presentation, drop the ball. We didn't get it. Now we look at where are we with the green line? Where's the green line going? Does it make sense? Does it make sense? The catchment basins it's going to, does the cost per literal linear meter make sense? Can we afford that? Now we have the arena. They've been kicking arena, the arena. I was just going to say, like, talk about the arena for a bit. What do you think is happening there? You know, I, I don't really know because I wasn't at the table for any of the deal. Obviously, I wasn't. Um, no Calgarians were, really. We don't really know what the deal is. We don't know the nuances of it. Here we are 12 years later. We're still kicking this can down the road. Look to the north of us, Edmonton. You know, the downtown of Edmonton was not a pleasing place to be north of Jasper Ave, that whole area. 
was I, I lived in Beaumont for years. I know I was in that area, that area countless times. It was not a safe, secure place to even be. Look what they did there. They put in Rexall Place and they the resurgence in that city is phenomenal. Uh, and here we are still deciding what we're going to do. How do you have a world-class city when you do not have world-class facilities? We've been losing out on concerts uh, and events like that because the Saddle Dome isn't conducive to them. We can't get any the big events at our football stadium because, A, it's an antiquated facility. B, it's zoned in an area where you cannot have any noise after 10 p.m., basically. So we lose all of that. People have been beating a path up to Edmonton literally for decades to support that city when we're the world-class city in this province, but you wouldn't know it by the way we treat our facilities and the way we uh, showcase ourselves to the world to try to bring people in here. We, we've got to do a much better job of this. Jane, what can leaders in their current position or counselors or individuals that are part of our local government make any decisions quickly and concisely and actually stick to what they want to do? I mean, like you said, 12 years in the arena, the green line. <laughs> There's so many examples we have. Yeah, we don't have a single win. And, th and that comes from not having a cohesive leadership. If you go to City Hall, and I have been to City Hall many times, I've tried to put motions forward on behalf of the nonprofit community groups such as the Kirby Centre, etc. And you go to City Hall, the infighting, the backstabbing, the political gamemanship uh, is appalling. I've always said, and I know it's logistically not possible, but it would be amazing if every Calgarian do you have the right to vote? You went and sat in city chambers, council chambers for three days or even two days to observe what's going on because it would teach you two things. Number one, the antics that occur at city hall. And then also maybe those who are in city hall would see that their constituents, those who vote them in are observing actually how they act and how they behave. And I think it might bring a different degree of responsibility. So what we need in leadership at City Hall is we need a group of individuals who are focused not on their own agendas, but on the greater good of what the city needs to be and needs to go and have a cohesive move forward mentality. So that takes good communication. It takes respect. And I think that City Hall is lacking a lot of respect for each other. And if they're not respecting each other in chambers, they're not respecting the constituents, us, the taxpayers who are, are paying the price to keep this city afloat. And it goes to transparency and accountability. You know, you can type into your phone or your computer and Google and search the capital expenditure budget of most urban centers in Canada and it'll come up right away. Like you, you punch in capital expenditure budget of Edmonton, it comes up 2.8 billion. You tried to do that with Calgary and I mean, you literally have to dig in, download PDFs, search it, research it. And it's such a, like Edmonton for instance, I mean, I, I only compare Edmonton because it's a, kind of a sister city to us. It's the one we relate to the most. Their capital budget is $2.8 billion, And you can pretty much drill down on any level to exactly what everything is spent. And our budget in Calgary is far more nebulous than that. It is hard to read. It's hard to understand. I mean, there's lines in there that say, like, you know, for a well-run city, $31 million. And no details. What does that get us? You know, I was answering some questions about climate change, my position on climate change and the environment. And I have very strong, positive positions on those. But, you know, we're going through it with my team. I'm like, oh, we're like, where is Calgary's position in the budget on this? There's a line in the budget that says something along the lines of for a healthier, greener city, 
to include such things as climate change, waste resources, parks and recreation, $2.07 billion. It's like about 70% of Calgary Edmonton's entire budget. What are we really getting for that? Where's the accountability, the transparency? So all of these things come together. Number one, you need respect in City Hall. Number two, you need to work as a team to get major projects, large and major, and pardon me, small and large projects to move forward. Things like how's the green line? Will it be executed? Won't it be executed? Are we just going to continue to waste millions thinking about it? Will we get the arena deal done? Will we get a new stadium done? You know, will we revitalize our downtown? Will we engage with our different communities? Will we look at the fact that we have misspent money for so long that now many of the recreational facilities in so many of our communities are in disrepair and not even usable. So where are these children and families supposed to spend their time? On the streets? You know, I mean, we need to understand how to get infrastructure to our people. You look at the taxes we pay in Calgary compared to other communities, Usually there's a scale of economics, right? Edmonton has about seven, 973,000 people. We're about 1.5 million. So you would think that per person, just based on scale of economics, that's how it normally works. That's why large companies merge, right? Um, that we per person should be playing slightly less than what a Calgarian does because we're, you know, one and a half times the size. Well, they pay about $2,844, I think it is, $2,800 per person, if you just do the simple math, we're at about $3,400, $3,500 per person. So we're 20% more per capita in tax, you know, in, in the capital expenditure budget of Calgary, but we can't get snow removal done. We can't get basic things done. We can't get winter tires put on buses so they can service uh, people. You know, my, my daughter lives in uh, Bankview, you know, very busy, popular area. Uh, it's not out of it, it's it's downtown core basically six like days 17th Avenue for the listeners yeah 17th uh, she's 17th Avenue she six days this winter no bus how are you going to get to university how are you going to get to work how are you going to get to your your relative how do you get to your necessities I was president of the Kirby Center I was on the board for eight years president for five years it's a senior citizens facility how do senior citizens get out of their house when the streets aren't plowed for three, four weeks. How do they crawl over those mounds of snow and ice? You couldn't even get your vehicles out of the driveway. You couldn't even get to a taxi cab. I mean, these are the services that we are working with within this city. And yet our capital expenditure budget is $5.3 billion. Do you know that our fire department, you maybe do this, I know that you've interviewed and, and podcasted in that, that most of our fire services run at 50% of the recommended uh, occupancy, like there's a NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association plan, NFPA 1710 recommends how many individuals should be in a fire truck, how many fire trucks should be in an area, how many fire trucks should respond. Calgary typically runs at 50% of what is recommended. Edmonton runs at 100%. How does that, how do we explain that? Do we Why not have enough manpower? Is that what the case is here? Or what do you no, think most trucks are going out with two people instead of four. NFPA recommends, NFPA 1710 recommends there. I mean, there's varying things, but in most cases, they recommend like four people to a truck or five people. And we're running out often half that capacity. Is that maybe on the case of efficiency? Is that why they're doing that? Do we need four people on a truck and we just need two? Kind of well, thing? I guess what I would say is I am not a firefighter. I'm not the I'm not one of the individuals who wrote the NFPA, which is a North American wide uh, recognized uh, standard. 
Um, but I see your point. I see what you're saying, though. Well, what I'm saying is, how can how can Edmonton, you know, pay have 20% less uh, revenue per person, but yet have snow removal, have fully occupied fire trucks, meet the code, and we're not, and yet we still have a city council that's continually saying oh, well, you know, we got a shortfall here. We need to increase taxes again and again and again. All that is doing is chasing business weight. So, you know, so to get back to your point about, you know, we've got a tech bubble coming here. Yes, we want to advocate for that. We want to advocate for the film industry. We're advocating for agricultural technologies, which may seem odd because we're an urban city uh, and agriculture is te technically more rural, but this is still where a lot of the innovative uh manufacturing, engineering, design, and creative attitude comes is within an urban center like ours. And we're in the hub of one of the greatest agricultural areas in North America. We can also tie into our agricultural area, um, support that industry through our clean energy. We have the ability to economically produce very high quality food year round that will feed not only Calgarians, Albertans, Canadians, but actually the world. And now that changes the narrative of what we can do for the world instead of just people thinking that we're only a fossil fuel capital. We have so many other ways that we can move. I mean, even our cannabis industry, the things that we can segue into supporting and monetizing, commercializing that. You mentioned about welders and pipe fitters and fabrication and engineers and designing. We have the best in the world. Why are we not doing that here right now? A lot of that's being done in places like Winnipeg. How did we drop the ball on that? We should be leading the world in the commercialization, monetization of that multi-billion dollar industry. But no, Winnipeg's already ahead of us. We have well, to. we have a lot of empty wells, you know, orphan wells. And I do believe that, you know, as we look forward to the future, we can pull out hydrogen, right? Geothermal energy. I do believe that will be something Alberta will be a leader in. We have an abundant source of that. Yes. And I do believe that's going to happen. And I, like you said, we do have the best people in the world to do this. So that will happen. What do you think about the, when we go back to the firefighters for a second, them getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccines because they are not considered frontline workers? To me, that's absolute insanity. Um, they should have that option. I mean, they have to work and operate in a very closed environment. Uh, I mean, I want to go along for a ride, but because of COVID, I can't enter a fire hall. No one can. It's difficult for them even to. They've switched to 24-hour shifts just to protect them so that there's less chance of spread. I mean, to me, that's just insanity that they are not at the front of that list. Given their close quarters work environment, they should have the option of that right with any frontline worker. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, you know, people think about firefighters as, you know, being caped heroes and they are, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they aren't, but caped heroes who lead this life of running into a blazing building, saving a baby or climbing a tree and rescuing a kitten. But their job is huge mental stress in so many areas. They are dealing every moment of their day that they are out of their fire hall is dealing with human trauma, whether it's, you know, coming to an accident on the road because there's fluids and has hazardous conditions that they're qualified to look after and dealing with people who've just had a car accident. They're often the ones who have to report unseen if there's a mental health crisis issue, such as an overdose, a suicide, trauma like that. Then on top of it, can you imagine running into a blazing house trying to either save a human life or save property? 
All of those things are extremely stressful. And now they are working in a closed environment in the midst of a pandemic and told that they are not considered frontline workers to get a priority for a vaccine. How did we get to this area or this time where we, we don't believe they're frontline workers? I just, I don't understand. There's there's a lot of things I don't understand. I'm going to tell you something that's just, we went out to Sandy Beach Park uh, on Saturday and handed out a few hundred brochures. It was a beautiful day, 20 something above. There's a thousand people out there. Finally, it's the nicest day we've had in probably eight or nine months out there. And everybody's enjoying themselves. It was a great crowd. Everybody was orderly, pleasant, like just a fantastic day. And the bathrooms are locked because it's COVID. Right. So explain to me how the city rationalizes that that's a healthy situation. You won't have a bathroom open because someone may come into contact, but you have a park full of one or two thousand people enjoying themselves very respectfully. Everybody is very respectful. But you are at Sandy Beach. There is no bathroom. You would have to drive home to use a bathroom. And yet people are out there having their lunches, lighting little fire pits, barbecuing, doing whatever, uh, eating and, you know, and, and having their beverages and uh, no bathroom. So you can imagine where a thousand people are probably going to the washroom out there. How is that healthy? How do we come to these conclusions? I am mystified, Zach, at the way our leadership comes up with these scenarios. How about this? You know, small businesses, they're the backbone of our city. We're entrepreneurial driven, we're resilient, and we still can open our businesses, but we can see Costco and Walmart, and all these people had their businesses wide open, people touching fruits and clothes and putting it back, thousands of people. There's no limits to how many people you can come with to these areas versus, you know, we go to a restaurant. And restaurants, by the way, actually put up plexiglass. They're really focused on honing in. Why are we the ones getting uh, slapped as small business owners? Once again, a, a question that does not bear any resemblance to common sense conclusions. I look at our, and I mean, this is one of the reasons I really got into this mayoral race and decided years ago to start doing this. <clears throat> Actually, the night of the last municipal election, walking home uh, after uh, the last municipal election, I made my mind up that this was a path I was going to take. So we've been working on this for a long time. And the reason I was driven to that, one of the many, but one of the main reasons is walking, I lived right downtown in the Beltline. I have so many friends, I have, very, I have an amazing network, walking past so many buildings of friends, businesses that now have brown paper on them. They were dying. They were struggling. This city was not supporting them, increasing taxes every year. Every morning you get up as a business owner, as a Calgarian, and what's the news? I'm going to pay more and I'm going to get less. And so we had already pushed all these small businesses, local entrepreneurial spirit, into a corner that there was just no way out of. And now on top of the pandemic, we take this course where we, you know, close down health facilities like gyms where, you know, the healthier you are, the the better your resistance is to most illnesses. And then you look at the massive investment that our restaurants and bars and entertainment sector have put into, like you mentioned, the plexiglass partitions, the, you know, over the top cleaning, the sanitizing. There are so few recorded cases that come from there. And then we or, or if there are some, give us the numbers. I mean, the transparency is not there. And I think a lot of restaurant owners are saying, okay, well, show us some numbers. How many of us got actually affected versus 
Safeway or you know schools. And how many of those how how many of those resulted in situations where people are actually being admitted to hospital with COVID and not just testing positive? And I think that that's often where we sometimes get the narrative confused. You know, we'll always hear in the radio every day, oh, you know, we've set a new record, 1,600 cases today and 59% of the variant. And that, okay, well, that's te- positive testing. And I'm not dismissing it. I'm definitely not a COVID denier. I mean, I was worked in the senior citizens aging adult community for many, many, many years. And that's the community that has lost the most people and has impacted Mom, the most. Mom, dad, brother, sister, yeah, it's been hard so for I'm, a lot I'm of not us. a COVID denier at all, but I am a realist. And I think that, you know, our leaders have not focused on the wider parameter of the impact of what this pandemic has done. It has affected every Calgarian in different ways, mental health, financial crisis, loss of jobs, but, you know, getting back to like our small businesses and especially like the restaurants and that, you know, right now, so, oh, they can have their patios open. Well, I got up to this morning to snow again, you know, two days ago was 18 Saturday. It was 20 Sunday. It's, you know, three inches of snow or whatever. So now what do you do with that staff? Say, okay, we're going to come in and run the patio. We order all our perishable foods. Oh, now it's closed most of the week. So now they're throwing garbage and food in the garbage. People don't have employment, the mental stress, the financial stress of this is going to have a generational impact on us. And that is a indicative of leadership that does not give us clear goal lines. I think a lot of the reason that so many people I talk to, are frustrated, depressed, stressed out, and anxious, is we have no clear understanding of how we're going to get out of this and when we're going to get out of it. The goalposts keep changing. We were told, and I know a lot of this we're talking about now is more provincial than municipal, but it affects us as Calgarians. Because I think what it does is it's an everyday thing that people hear about, regardless of if we try to avoid the news or or all those things, we... It suffocates us. And like you said, there's this uncertain time that you can't plan anything. Like, for example, I mean, from a provincial level, a few weeks ago when we heard about the third lockdown or the restrictions, sorry, you know, we hear, oh, all right, kids will be um, homeschooling for two weeks. Two weeks? Are you serious? It's not going to be two weeks. You and I both know, Zane, and they know it's not going to be two weeks. Why are you saying that? It was two weeks ago. In March of last year, it was two weeks ago in March of last year, right? And here we are, 15, 14 months later. You're right, Zach. Sorry, I cut you off. But yeah, it's it, we, <laughs> these these goal lines keep moving and everybody is just so frustrated. As a mural candidate, what do you see as hope and a refreshing energy that we could bring to the city? Because I think, like you said, we're tired. Calgarians are tired. And and if you go to downtown, and I know you've been there, Zane, but for the listeners, if you go down there, it's like zombie land. It is sad. It's, it's no really more sad. what Calgary was. No, you know, and even the people that are out and about are you you look at them and they're 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 tired. It's zombie land, you're right. But what, what, but but it is true, Zach. You know, Calgary is we are the hub of Alberta. I mean, there's 1.5 million people here approximately. Edmond has 973,000 approximately. We have a major voice at the table. And I think that that voice at the table needs to be more effective. And what I've seen from City Hall and from our mayor in the past few years is the continual propensity to poke the provincial government in the eye on every case that comes up rather than trying to work collaboratively. And when you refuse to work collaboratively with someone, and that is indicative of everything that I've seen in City Hall in the last few years, they don't work collaboratively with each other, let alone their stakeholders. 
The provincial government and stakeholders, I think they stroke a check like, you know, seven, eight hundred million to the city. And I know a lot of our property taxes go to them. And here we are fighting with them every time. I'll give you an example. Uh, before the pandemic happened a year ago, we were on track to get the X Games here, those winter games, which would have come in January, February. So they would have happened before the pandemic. So it wouldn't have been eliminated due to the pandemic. And that was proven to have brought in, it would have brought in between 225 and $250 million of revenue into this city in like February of last year. And for the listeners, it is a motocross show that was going to be held at the grandstands. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was um, an amazing event. Could you imagine what, how much, how better off this city would have been if we would have had an influx of 225 or $250 million a year ago, the month before the pandemic closed us down. So our mayor has had a continual fight with the provincial government. Doesn't like them, doesn't agree with them, never misses a chance to criticize them. And we had a situation last year where they were supposed to participate, the provincial government and lend give $13 million towards the setup and promotion of this event. Uh, The provincial government got back to us and said, oh, you know, inherited the books from the previous provincial government. It's worse than we thought. We're giving you zero. So to me, that was very much a battle of egos. I think that if there would have been a good collaborative working relationship between, you know, City Hall and the mayor's office with the provincial government, our single largest stakeholder, a discussion could have and should have happened where, you know, maybe the premier would have called the mayor and said, hey, you know, we don't have 13 million to give. Times are tough. And the mayor would have said, give us 10. And they might have settled on eight. But then they would have figured out how to make it work with that slightly reduced funding. And they would have shared a platform and a microphone together. And they would have said, this is a situation. Times are tough, but we realize the value of bringing a major event like this to the major city in Calgary, the jobs, the revenue, the prosperity will bring. So we're working together to still make this happen, even though times are tough. And that would have been a win for everyone. It would have been a win for Calgarians, certainly. It would have been a win for the province. Instead, you know, our mayor just got in front of the microphone and said, you know, and blamed it all on the provincial government. You know, they let us down as 13 million, so it's canceled. So we as Calgarians missed out, you know, between 225 to $250 million in revenue. And the same thing they when we came it into our city. Um, Imagine what that would end. Same thing when we came out of the first lockdown. Are you still there? Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, somehow I bumped my screen and and lost your beautiful face, but I'm trying to bring it back. (laughs) I don't know how I did that. Oh, there we are. Um, (laughs) So we were coming out of the lockdown and restaurants were going to open up, right? A year ago. And the whole province is going to open up. It was like, I can't remember, a, a Tuesday or Wednesday, we were going to open up. All these restaurants went, put furniture in storage, put up partitions, clean, trained staff, brought in food, spent millions and millions to prep. Had everybody called in because they were going to open up at 11 a.m. I think it was a Wednesday morning. I can't remember which remember day of the week it was. About, yes. And everything was going to happen. And then Tuesday afternoon... Don't quote me in the day week. I think it was Tuesday afternoon, 3.30 in the afternoon. The provincial government makes an announcement. Every single restaurant in Alberta can open up with social distancing, extra cleaning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, except Brooks, where there was a massive outbreak, and Calgary. So think about the millions of dollars that cost our restaurant and entertainment industry who had already reorganized the seating configuration of their restaurants, put much of their furniture in storage, moved it 
retrained staff on protocols of cleanliness and sanitation, bought all their perishable food, and then three and had all their staff coming in at like eight in the morning to start serving food at 10 or I mean at 11 the next day. And then at 3.30 the day before, find out that no, they can't. That is terrible communication between our mayor and our premier. And that cost us as Calgarians millions and millions. Well, not just the economic crisis. Just think about the mental stress, the strain. Um, but this is why we are where we are today. They know that candidate. What do you believe that we could do here for small businesses if you were the mayor? What was some of the decisions, if you look back at this past year, that you would have done from a local level to make sure Calgarians wouldn't have had these issues? Looking back, it's always easier. But, you know, a year later, we're in the same boat or worse, I would say. We're in, they had a year to make a plan. I don't know why we don't have a plan. They should probably bring entrepreneurs and small business owners in and we'll probably get it done quicker than you know, <laughs> I think, Zach, I think that you hit, you struck a key point right there. Um, there's a few things. Number one, Calgary is so overregulated. It is a proven fact that you can take a piece of raw land, for instance, within the city limits of either Calgary or Edmonton, develop it, zone it, permit it, put a house on it, put a family in it, in Edmonton in a fraction of the time and exponentially cheaper. $130,000 in every single home in Calgary is uh, on average, every home is 130,000 goes to City Hall in levies, fees, permits, et cetera. It puts affordable housing out of reach of most people. And the same is true in our restaurant industry. Uh, you can open a restaurant, uh, a small seated diner with food and, and cocktails for about a quarter of the cash up front as you can in Calgary. We are so overtaxed, overlevied, overfeed, and overregulated. This city creates roadblocks and not bridges. So the first thing I would do in City Hall is to work collaboratively with the rest of the councillors, uh, the mayor's office with, with council, to try to reduce the regulations, streamline the process, make this a city that's open and welcoming to support not only the businesses we have here, but encourage more. The more businesses we get here, that means the tax burden is shared over a wider space. And it takes a burden off of right now, all they're doing is chasing business out. We're losing an average of about 15 businesses a day are closing here. And so that just puts more burden on those who are struggling to remain. And we do not give them any break. We do not give them any concession. We do not give them a helping hand. We just throw more of the burden on them. We need to look at efficiencies within City Hall to make sure that, you know, the money that we're receiving is being spent properly. We've had such, for decades, we've had a surplus because of you know, the prosperity of oil and gas. And our city hall has only figured out ways to creatively spend it uh, and not properly manage it. What do you think about our beautiful art pieces? Pardon me, our beautiful art? Did you say? Yes. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of art, but I'm a big fan of doing it right, like anything. And, and locally. Always, just what I was going to say. It's always confused me. Why do we not take... Um, a weighted view on how we purchase our art. I know that they have said, I've heard them say, oh, well, you know, it's not fair. We have to do a, a global uh, submission for art. You know, I've worked in the private sector for many years and you can provide a bid and with really respectable, honest, well, not that the others are dishonest, but well-valued companies, they do a weighted bid. So they don't just purchase something off the price. 
they look at the quality, they look at the deliverables, they look at who will be employed, all these things. And then they do it, what's called a weighted bid. Well, why don't we do the same with the art thing? And so if you're local, you get bumped up for that scale. We should, I, I'm saying that we're not the only artists in the world and it's not totally horrific if we get art from somewhere else, but why do we not put more value, like you said, Zach, on supporting locally? No, and, and you know, you go off 16th and Stony and Cersei, you'll see those iron rods sticking out and you're wondering what that is, but it's an art piece, not locally, not provincially, not federally. None it's of New this York. is Canadian. Yeah. I think it was New, New York. The blue ring, the blue ring. So when Germany, I think it was Germany. Peace well, Bridge. Look, Peace Bridge, exactly. Bam. When you look at the blue ring and you say, wow, um, what is that, first of all? <laughs> and you, they're looking at quality. Well, anyone can tell you, we go back to, we got the best welders in Alberta. We've got the best trades. You think we here couldn't have made women. that blue ring here for less than 400? I think it was like 400 and some thousand dollars they paid for it. Without installation. And they've also had to repaint it already. So don't talk about quality here. You know, whoever's making these decisions. It's crazy. Yeah, we need to support local. We need to keep, you know, we need to be the champions for our own city. So, you know, going back to the identity of the city, yes, you're right. You know, 20 years ago, I would have defined this, this Calgary as being, you know, the energy hub of Western Canada, if not almost North America. It had the best summer festival rodeo in the world. And we were close to the most beautiful mountains in the world. But now, you know, COVID has shut down the stampede partially or totally. Do you believe it'll happen this year? I don't know. That's it, it'll be a struggle. It'll be a struggle, but I think they should have something for Calgarians. I think for, we should have something. What do but you think about the vaccine or like a digital health card where if someone has got vaccinated, they can be allowed into the stampede? Those types of passport things to citizens make me very nervous. Yeah. Um, you know, I, like I said before, we have the uh, percentage, the highest percentage of post-secondary graduates. We have very critical thinking, intelligent uh, populace here in Calgary. I think that people are smart enough, intelligent enough, especially in Calgary, courteous enough of neighbors and respectful enough of neighbors that we should be able to make some of these decisions on our own, um, such as things like mandatory face masks and mandatory uh, vaccines. Whenever the word mandatory gets thrown in the conversation, I get nervous. I get apprehensive because when you mandate something, we found that with taxes, we found that with all kinds of regulations throughout the history of Canada, once it's mandated, there's very rarely a proper rollback of it. And I am always apprehensive of uh, too much options to be involved. Maybe that? the option, not the mandatory. Oh, for sure, the option. I think that you should, you know, have absolutely the option of wearing a face mask. And if you own a business and you are not comfortable with people coming in without a face mask, you own that business. That should be your option to put on the door. Please don't enter without a mask. I think that what we want to champion for the go forward identity of Calgary is a very entrepreneurial visionary city where we promote the creative spirit. And we know that Albertans have that, you know, for a, a long time, there was that catch saying catchphrase that said the Alberta advantage, but really the Alberta advantage was created out of the Alberta solution. We would find problems or we would come across problems and we as Albertans, figured out solutions and that gave us an advantage. And, you know, one of the key things like in our oil and gas industry, <clears throat> so innovative, 
you can't go to a major hydrocarbon facility in the world without finding innovations that were created right here in Alberta. And so part of our platform, my platform is clean tech. And so it's green tech, it's solar, wind, all of those things. You mentioned geo for sure. But we also want to showcase the fact of the innovation and world-class products that we have created here in Alberta in our own manufacturing shops in Calgary. And we want to showcase that to the world. And we want to let the world know that what we do with our resources has the highest level of ESG in the world. We want to showcase the creative, innovative, highly skilled workforce and technology that has been built right here in Calgary, I want to showcase that to the world. And in doing that, create that vibrancy for the entrepreneurial spirit. We have, so, we have the most connected downtown in the world. That downtown contains some of the most brilliant entrepreneurial business minds in the world. Why are we not working with them? And using their expertise. City Hall, you know, you look out of City Hall, you look to the west, maybe a little bit north, to that downtown that has the most brilliant minds in the world. City Hall has never talked to them about how better to run this city. I know when I talk to those business owners, those, uh, you know, all those managers, vice presidents, CEOs, they love this city as much as I do. But no one's ever gone to them for advice on how to run this city well. We plan on doing that. We plan on creating uh, think tanks, advisory groups. We're already creating an advisory group on clean tech, on the resources. We are partnering up to find out how we can take waste to energy, stop filling landfills, what we can do in the agricultural industry, not only with cannabis, but with using clean energy as an agricultural hub. All of do those you see hydrogen and petrochemicals being a huge source from our city? Yeah, you know, we're working with ATCO. I have, you know, contacts within ATCO themselves who are, are spearheading a lot of that. Um, we need to showcase and sell that to the world, market ourselves to the world as the really what we are. And so that all stems back to things like having good infrastructure. Are we willing to risk, you know, six to $10 billion in the green line that we don't know where it starts and where it goes and does it get to the right people? And could that sacrifice, you know, other areas within the city that don't have it? I mean, I look at the Northeast. Why do we not have better infrastructure there? Those individuals do not, most of them don't have the luxury of two or three vehicles in their driving and taking the train as an option. They need strong infrastructure to get them to their work, to get them to school, to get them to the grocery store, get them to their amenities, get them to their friends' homes. Are we properly executing our budget to the areas that will need it and benefit from it the most. Are we creating structures for success? I know they talked about the green line and one of my mayoral candidates says, oh, it'll create 20,000 jobs and we should need to roll forward with it. Well, that's actually not true. It's 20,000 man year jobs. So there's a big difference between 20,000 jobs and 20,000 man year so, so jobs. So explain that to me, what is the difference? Well, that is basically if one man worked 20,000 years, he could get it done. Whereas 20,000 jobs, you know, that, that's a whole other realm of employment. So what we're talking about is green line that, you know, would employ a few thousand for a few years. And then nobody ever talks about the operational cost of something like that. If that green line were in operation today, it would cost taxpayers between 40 to $60 million a year to keep the doors open on the trains. And they think at best at peak times, they did all the ridership reviews before COVID and before most of downtown was vacant, that at best full ridership would offset about half that cost. 
So the fact of the matter is, as Calgarians, we deserve to hear and see the whole picture. One of the things I want to introduce into City Hall is biannual budget review. So if you were to invest in Amazon, Synovus, Husky, well, they're together now, any, any major company, they do a quarterly report, right? You get your quarterly report. Have they met their targets? Are they paying their dividends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right now, if Calgary as a city was listed on the TSX, no one would buy a share in it. So what I want to introduce is similar to what would happen with one of those companies. Quarterly reviews, they get up and they explain if they're on target, if their projects are on time, if they're on budget, and if not, why not, and how they're gonna get them back on budget and what they learned. I think that, you know, as Calgarians, all we ever hear is, oh, you know, we're a year late on getting 17,000 done or three years late. And it's going in over another 2 million or 200 million and just on. And so your taxes have to go up and you have to listen, live with the inconvenience of having, you know, cruel child under construction for 20 years type of mentality. I think that what I want to do, I want to spearhead having biannual reviews for all major capital expenditure projects in every department within the city domain, where the team leads get up, give an explanation of are those projects on time? Are they on budget? And if not, why not? And what have we learned from it? And how are we gonna get them back on time and back on budget? Because that is taxpayers' money. It's our investment dollars in this city and we deserve explanations and we deserve accountability. I think that this is so crucial. We we need what makes you different, Merrill candidate Novak? What makes it you different versus the other candidates that you're running against? I think that something that's a bit unique to myself is strong business background. Been involved in the community for quite some time, but I've been involved in the community not just in business. In the last 18 or 19 years, I've put over 20,000 volunteer hours into the nonprofit at-risk marginalized community. Um, everything from uh, done lots of work with children's charities, eight years at the board of the Kirby, five years as president of the Kirby Center, which is, you know, the nation's premier outreach group to the senior citizen aging adult community. So I have a lot of understanding of our at-risk communities, what it takes for them to benefit, to have quality of life, and how that marries together with and works with a prosperous economic environment. You cannot have good, strong social programs if you do not have a good, strong, healthy economic environment. So I think of all the candidates, I'm the only one that brings that balance between a strong business background, business network, and a passion for the social uh, nonprofit sector of our city. Is there some candidates that you fear of their choices and decision-making skills? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that we lack, uh, in some of the candidates, we lack a, a good, strong business background. And I know that people will say government isn't business, but you know, the capital expenditure budget of Calgary is 5.3 billion. It means we have hundreds of billions in asset and we have tens of thousands of employees. You know, that is still business to a certain and great degree. And I think that if people haven't worked like literally got up, you know, double mortgaged their home, risked everything to try to make things happen, to be accountable in front of their employees if they are, things are failing, taking the responsibility for all of that. I don't think you have a really good perspective of that side of things. And the other thing that I would really hope um, 
if someone other than myself were to be elected, I would really hope that that individual would passionately pursue how to get city council and the mayor's office to be non-divisive, to work together collaboratively, to move projects for the greater interest of Calgarians forward rather than just personal agendas. And there are some that are in this mayoral race that I am worried will, from their track record, be not so much a leader as a divisive force in City Hall. Now, it is fine to always be that proverbial devil's advocate. We always do need that accountability. We do need people in the room that ask difficult questions to make sure that we're examining topics right down to the root and the core. I respect that. I don't want to be surrounded by yes men or sick events. That's beneficial to no one. But at the end of the day, we have to move decisions forward through collaboration, good research, good information, because good knowledge makes for good decisions. And we cannot move this city forward on an attitude of division, divisiveness, and egos. And they need to stick to the decision and go with it. That's right. Be determined. And we need to listen. Like I started this, you know, a couple, like you said, several years ago, but I couldn't really come out and say that I was going to do this because of being in the nonprofit sector. It was conflict of interest. So we started a platform a couple of years ago called Calgary 2.0, a visionary look forward into what Calgary can be. And, you know, we're not putting much time into that platform right now. Now it's the Zane for Mayor platform. But after I'm elected as mayor, we will continue to have the Calgary 2.0 platform out there for citizens to engage in. Because one of the first things I heard from every Calgarian I talked to was, we do not feel we're being listened to. You know, we write to our accounts, we write to the mayor's office, uh, email, whatever, we just we don't get the answers back. We do not get engagement. We do not have a voice at the table. This is a smart city. There's brilliant people here. We should be listening to them and it will help our job and our city move forward. So I think that. I know we got to get going here, but just a quick question. One last question is what is some inspiration or words of wisdom that you could express to Calgarians that are, you know, going through a tough time right now and to have some hope. I think that, you know, there's so many things I would want to say right now we're living in a pandemic and we're living in, you know, people ask me what's the worst about the times we live in, you know, we have political strife municipally, provincially and federally in this country, which makes me sad. We have economic issues, which are a burden on everyone topped out off with the pandemic, which is tragic and for all, everyone. But I think that one of the worst things we have right now is such a polarized society. You know, if I came out and I say that I wish that people could make their own choices about taking the vaccine or the masks, you know, people will paint me with a brush of, oh, well, he's, you know, he's a conspiracy theorist. He's an anti-masker. He's an anti-vaxxer. And that's not true. And then if other people come out and they go, well, I want to get the vaccine. I think we should wear the face mask. Well, then other people call them sheeple and names like that. I think that living in this world where it's so polarized is the most detrimental thing to our mental health, to our city, to our communities, to our neighbors, to our families. If there is one thing that I could wish to say to every Calgarian is take the time to listen, stop being so polarizing because good things happen when everybody can have a voice at the table and be respected, give respect, and show respect, and you'll be respected. I just would wish that we could stop being so judgmental and so polarizing 
and find common ground to have good conversations. And be kind. Be kind. Exactly. Be kind. Thank, Thank you very you, much, Zach. I've very, I've really appreciated this.